Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, buds? Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young, and uh, on top of doing weird intros that I try to drag the, the you know, words around, uh, I am joined today uh, by uh, Chris Watkins and uh, Adam Stringham. So, uh, Chris, you are the, um, you're the, uh, the toast of the Capitals' Twittersphere in a, in a certain way right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, how are, aside from batting down a couple of a- occasionally angry tweets, uh, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, it's starting to heat up, you know, across the board. So we're getting out and seeing nature a little bit more. You know, uh, yellow, yellow junior turning uh, one uh, this week. So we're excited about that. And then other than that, you know, I'm just trying to see uh, how the dra- uh, the Blackhawks will start screw their draft pick this year. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but other than that, it's all good. I, I am uh, I I'm excited about some of the series uh, uh, that are happening right now. So I've been catching probably more playoff hockey than usual. Uh, so, so that's been good, but yeah, uh, so I'm doing good. How about you guys? Doing well, doing well. String, uh, it's, you know, been, uh, been a guess a week or two since we've last chatted. Uh, how, <laughs> how are you doing? What, what's life in, uh, Stringham land right now? Oh, everything's good. Um, my wife and I make our first trip back up North here in, in about a week's time. So that'll be great. So, um, my daughter will, will meet her, her grandma, um, and, uh, her other grandparents for the first time uh, in a little over a week, so that'll be pretty cool. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And and uh, Adam, I know we have texted, and I think we are going to exactly miss each other because I'm actually going to Texas in a couple of weeks to, to visit. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna exactly miss each other, which is fine. But uh, so I, I guess you know. Chris and Adam, you guys have both kind of talked about young kids, and I think young <laughs> kids do a great job of putting dumb Twitter things in perspective frankly, <laughs> in terms of uh, things not being important. But uh, Chris, you kind of drew the ire of the Capitals fan base and I'll just be fully transparent. I've been trying to be on Twitter less, so I haven't really <laughs> paid a ton of attention, but apparently uh, you, you tweeted, uh, you know, kind of needling capital sands about the, uh, about us celebrating the uh, the an- the three year anniversary of us winning the Stanley Cup. So uh, I will uh, I am the evil bad prosecutor, and sure. I'm gonna say uh, play the defense. What is what is your defense? Uh, you know the defendant. Yeah, I mean 
I mean, as you all know, obviously, you know, this is what more like sixth or seventh appearance on, on Japer's ring. So clearly I have <laughs> a, enough of an affinity for the Capitals to, to uh, you know, to obviously, you know, come on as frequently as I do. Uh, I mean, I generally like the team. Uh, but yes, I was having some fun at the Capitals fans' expense, um, <laughs> as I want to do for, for many a team. Uh, but yeah, you know, I was just like, oh, okay, this is a little bit over the top. I don't remember, I don't remember, uh, you know, the uh, the pens having their three year celebration. It's to be fair, I don't know as many pens fans on uh, on Twitter. You know, they they are kind of hide their fandom, you know, behind the scenes. So, <laughs> it's like a black so, mark, you know. You just never exactly, want to yeah, like, yeah, be yeah. honest about it, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, they'll say like, they'll say they're Hurricanes fans or whatever in public, and then like secretly put on a you know Evgeny Malkin and a Kobe Armstrong jersey. So, you know, that's not, you know, that's not a frequent uh, thing. And to be honest, uh, you know, one of the things I've lamented is I actually don't know that many Blackhawks fans on Twitter. I've been searching for them for years. Uh, so, you know, I, I saw the the Cats fans. Uh, and, and I think this year in particular was like, huh, I mean, you know, I, I generally like you guys. I've hung out at a couple of the, the bars. Uh, NYC Cats crew does a great job of putting together that community and fan base up there in, in uh, New York City. I was like, you guys should be annoying too. I thought, you know, this was, you know, only unique to, you know, Rangers fans or at least fans. So I was like, oh man, all these Tom Wilson defense tweets, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if Ovechkin scores 800 goals. He's still better than Crosby. It doesn't matter if he's only made it past the second round once. So I'm like, huh, okay. You know, he's a little, a little bit defensive, a little bit, you know, needling. And then obviously with the, with the playoff flame out this year, you know, I think Cats fans are a little bit on edge. And so, you know, I, uh, I I apologize to anyone I offended. Uh, we'll do the non-apology apology. I apologize to anybody that was offended by my point of view on, on the Caps uh, sort of uh, regaling in the past and seeing Barry Trotz succeed with yet another team. Um, you know, I know that's got to hurt a little bit. So I understand Caps fans are very sensitive in this time, but you will get through it. Uh, as a as a Blackhawks fan that's not seen uh, the second round in uh, nearly half a decade. I was saying who hasn't, hasn't seen the playoffs much, really. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, uh, trust me, I, I'm very happy to throw out our three rings uh, in the past decade. Although someone has told me now, um, it's only two rings in the past decade at this point because uh, 2009 has receded very far into the mirror. So, you know, feel free to come at me. You know where to find me on Twitter. But yes, it, it's it's all love. Uh, well, I I am an equal opportunity hater. It is not. <laughs> particularly directed at Cats fans, but I just wanted to let my thoughts be known on that. Absolutely. And uh, Stringham, do you uh, do you want to do you want to regale uh, to uh, Chris at all, or are we willing to kind of uh, let bygones be bygones about this? Oh, I mean, I, I wasn't too bent out of shape about it. I mean, uh, Chris loves to needle. I mean, if you guys follow him on Twitter, you already know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't know why he would blame. You know, people living in the past when their teams only made it out of the second round twice and, you know, <laughs> however many years and have only won it once. So I think it's pretty logical that the fans are going to cling to that for uh, the foreseeable future here. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I think my I think my particular point on that, because, as I said, and, and Adam knows this more than anyone, the thing, the greatest hearty, hockey article I've ever seen written, and it's not for Cats fans in particular, I just think it was a great article, with Sean McAdoo's breakdown of the Cats' various come-from-ahead playoff collapses. Uh, yes. I've read that maybe <laughs> hundreds of times. And like I said, it's not because it's the Cats fans. I just love, like, reading that article and how uh, McAdoo did it. Uh, and so it's like, we haven't forgotten those either. So it's not that you all can't celebrate the cup. It's just like we haven't forgotten the, the pre-cup capitals as well. And so it's like we're going to celebrate the past. 
Let's go all the way back. And so that's oh. basically all, all it is. No, let, well, let's stop exactly at 2018. <laughs> I, I don't think we should go any further back at all, obviously. Uh, except when we're counting Alex Ovechkin for the goals record. All those count, right. but nothing else does. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So now that we've uh, lost half of our audience, uh, let's move on to something even uh, even more exciting. Uh, the So, Chris, when I pitched you coming on, I kind of did this as the uh, let's let's do the tough love on the Capitals roster sure. segment. But I think before we go into that, I want to go a little bit broader and say, what do we think is kind of the, you know, I think that there's been a lot of articles about, oh, like, what's the perfect Stanley Cup formula? And right. I don't think there is one. Right. I think that, like, right. there's a recurring theme of, oh, the team that won the cup in this past year obviously has the perfect formula and everyone should just emulate that. Right. But I guess kind of like, what's the right way to think about it? And like, what's the right way to think about developing a team that can regularly compete for the Stanley Cup? Yeah, no, I mean, it is a very fun exercise every year to see, yes, this was the exact perfect team formulation for winning the Cup. Um, and, and as I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, I would love to see, particularly if, you know, in particular if like Colorado or uh, Carolina wins the Cup, who's going to be designated as the the tough guy that secretly put them over the top. Um, and yes. so I said, you know, for Colorado, it's going to be Patrick Nemeth. That was the trade that, you know, coalesced the team and brought them together and, and made them tougher. Um, and then uh, I have no idea who it would be for Carolina. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know who's the tough guy in there. Dougie Hamilton? Like, uh, maybe Jacob Slayton or something like that. So, so you know, there's always this narrative of we sort of, whatever the cup team was doing, that was the correct way to build a team. Um, I, I, I don't think that's a very uh, proactive approach. I think you have to sort of identify what makes the most sense for you um, and do it. And so uh, one of the probably disagreements I've had with the general broader analytics community is, you know, you should go for this particular format or do X, Y, Z. Um, and the reason why I say I disagree with them is, is because this was something that was brought up in the NBA where, you know, the Golden State Warriors created this whole brand new style of playing with three-point shooters and, having four or five guys that can shoot and dribble and pass and switch and all of that. And teams try to emulate them in that particular style. Um, and what the problem was that you cannot be better than Golden State was at that style. And so you would just lose them in the playoffs every year because they were just better at it than you. So what the teams that were most successful against them were um, did was they identified uh, a sort of alternative style, but and they went all in on that and sort of went in a different direction. And, you know, it didn't work every single time. But it did at least allow them uh, sort of uh, a way to level the playing field, because since everyone is digging, if you zag, those assets become suddenly more undervalued. And now you see, you know, the reemergence of the big man in this year's playoffs and teams that were switching before are now going to more traditional defenses. And so I see the same thing in hockey where, you know, everyone's trying to go for the puck possession game and people are putting more precedence on that, more precedence on uh, sort of smaller, more agile, more skilled defensemen, and there's still some untapped territory there. But, you know, you see with the Islanders and, you know, with Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello, that they've identified a formula that, you know, why I don't think will necessarily bring them to a cup, has allowed them to build a sustainable long-term contender. Um, and so the argument I've made over and over again is, you know, if you want to just use a baseline metric and we'll say 20 war or, uh, you know, Another way to look at it is, you know, I think the average team scores like 220 goals a year. So how do you get 240 goals on your roster? How do you identify a team that can score that many or that only allows 190 goals? Like, how do you put together enough talent in place to do that with the cap constraints that currently reside? So the issue that the Blackhawks have, for example, is that because 
they already have, you know, 10.5 million locked up in Kane and Caves, uh, uh, Kane and Caves, plus another, you know, uh, 12 million locked up in Seabrook and uh, Keith, uh, that uh, half their roster is basically devoted to a solid play that is no longer in vogue anymore. Uh, and so now you have to fit in that level of talent that gets you to that 220 goals or that, uh, you know, 20 war um, and half the cap space that any other team can do. Um, and that's very difficult. So I think starting there is probably the first part of saying like, okay, who are the best players for our team? Um, the way I've been looking at it is who are the cornerstones that we build around? So uh, you look at a team like, you know, let's use Toronto, heaven forbid. <laughs> you know, Toronto's <laughs> cornerstones are, <laughs> Toronto's cornerstones are obviously uh, on the front end. Um, but, you know, uh, I, obviously it's Austin Matthews. It's Mitch Marner cornerstone. I think that's coming to question in the past, you know, a couple of weeks or so, given this playoff performance. Uh, is William Nylander maybe a cornerstone that was uh, not seen uh, as he was before? Uh, John Tavares, I think, probably is not one of those guys. I don't think they have one on the back end. And then they don't have any uh, in goaltending. So basically, you start with Austin Matthews. You figure out the players that most maximize his skill set, and then you sort of work your way on down and saying, like, okay, is Mitch Marner best suited to play with Austin Matthews? Or can he drive his own line? And then do you find players that can sort of elevate him. Um, I think the the Penguins in particular have done a great job of identifying, you know, they really ever had Malkin and, and Crosby on the same line, and obviously they play the same position, so that makes sense. But, you know, even they really ever put the best wingers on the team on Crosby's line. Uh, they knew that Crosby had the ability to elevate, you know, more, you know, second, you know, second line, third line wingers to have first line production. Um, and so therefore they can sort of see their second and third lines you know, having Kessel with the HBK line, you know, in the 2016, 2017 years sort of allowed them to sort of uh, strengthen their depth um, with sort of low, uh, low cost uh, rentals and acquisitions. And so I think that's the sort of first part. Identify your cornerstones, identify the players that they can maximize and that maximize their skill set, sort of work from there. I mean, it's a hard cap for everyone. And so the other sort of key thing is that like the, the big pushback I have, and this is when we get to the caps, we'll talk about it is that overpaying for your stars, I don't care how good they are, how much they mean to your team, and a hard cap league is just so, so difficult uh, to sort of get around. And I hate that the NHL does not have what the NBA has, which is like a Larry Bird rule, which just says, if you want to resign a Nicholas Bastion, if you want to resign Oveshkin, you can do that without affecting your cap hit. That's not exactly how it goes, but that at least allows you to keep your sort of franchise icons um, and not necessarily have to sacrifice the other parts. But when you do make those decisions and you do sort of go for nostalgia over production, then you sort of run into issues that make it very difficult. So I would say, start with your cornerstones, identify a team identity and sort of own it, even if it's different from what everybody else is doing, and just go all in on that. And then identify those undervalued assets that fit into the system that you have that you can maximize and then go from there. Yeah. And and Adam, I kind of want to Spin this forward to the Capitals. This seems like as good a time as any to kind of start digging in. So I think Chris did a decent job or did a really good job of kind of identifying what the formula is. So I guess kind of where where do we see the caps in that, basically? Like, I mean, because the other way I guess you could frame it is when the caps have been for as good as they have for as long as they have, eventually those really good players get older and you kind of enter what a lot of people have talked about is, is the cycle of contention and the caps may be kind of inevitably slowing down in that. So kind of, kind of where do we see the capitals right now? Uh, I mean, they're, they're very clearly at the tail end uh, and they're, they're going to be at that tail end for a bit longer now. I mean, for the reasons that Chris just outlined with the capitals, have 
I mean, they've said they're picking nostalgia uh, over being a contender. Um, You know, is that the right thing to do for building a champion? Probably not. Is it the right thing if their only goal is filling their, you know, continue to make money? Uh, Probably. (laughs) Um, I think it's financially keeping Ovechkin at capital is very, very important for the franchise. Um, I just don't think fans would respond super positively if he ends his career somewhere else, especially if he uh, really gets that Gretzky record. So, uh, um, sorry. Um, so, so really, I think that the Capitals are, are at a, uh, I mean, they're at a crossroads here. I mean, they've made it clear that they're, they're not really uh, the contending team. And the, the one other thing that I will kind of, or when I say contending team, I mean, if you watch Colorado Vegas, the Capitals don't look like they could hang with Colorado or Vegas right now at all, no. right? I mean, or Tampa or Carolina, frankly, <laughs> at this point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe they'd have a chance against Carolina. Um, you know, they could look into stuff. I mean, Carolina's goaltending has been suspect in this series, um, and their penalty kill has not been good at all uh, either. But um, the Capitals do have an identity, so they got that part down. Um, it's not the same identity they have when they won the Cup. It, it's almost like a more intense version of that. Um, they went from a team that could be- beat you multiples of ways in 2016 and 2017 um, to really leaning into that heavy heavy hockey in 2018. Um, and now they no longer really have any uh, flex capacity. Uh, they're 100% heavy hockey now. No more Vrana. Uh, no more small skill. I mean, the Capitals are a big boy team, and that, that's that's how they try to play. That's how Laviolette wants them to play. Um, it's, it, they look a lot like the Blues did when they won the Cup, and, and they look similar to how the Caps did when they won the Cup. But again, you know, without kind of the skill on the third line that uh, that they did when they won. So. Yeah, uh, that that's my quick assessment of the Capitals. No, and 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 Chris, I kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna do this question in a couple of parts. So let's do part one, kind of just let's reflect kind of on on where you think the Capitals are in the formula that you that you at, that you kind of outlined, and then I want to ask you about you know kind of your experience as a Blackhawks fan and seeing a team mm. decline and kind of how you value keeping your stars versus not because I think the the Blackhawks made their decision. I think. Right. But but let's talk about where we think the caps are first. So kind of you you outlined it kind of and and you heard string talk about it a little like kind of where do you see the caps right now? Yeah, I mean, so I think it's a little bit difficult, uh, sort of, as Adam said, um, because if they were committed to winning the cup, you know, um, and committed to keeping their championship window open, there's some decisions that they would be making right now that would go against the grain of sort of. Uh, the sort of loyalty and sort of building on the nostalgia piece. So, you know, part one, I definitely would not have given a Nicholas Backstrom that contract. I don't think he's been worth a Nicholas Backstrom has been undervalued and underpaid throughout his career. But unfortunately, now is not the time to sort of rectify that. You know, you give him a cushy front office job or, you know, you know, have him yeah. you know, be some <laughs> player development associate or something like that. Or, you know, be an whatever. ambassador have, or something. Exactly. You know, yeah. you know Ted Leonsis has plenty of other, you know, avenues and, and, and roles within his companies uh, to, to figure out how to how to pay him back for his services. Um, but you don't do that because then you sort of lock in what Alex Ovechkin's next contract is going to be. He wants to sort of end his career in line with with Backstrom. And so now you're sort of locked in and you're not going to pay him less than Backstrom. Uh, so you sort of have locked into what that price point is for two, you know, declining assets. And that sort of decline is accelerating, um, especially over the past year or so. Um, so that's part one of it. Um, I, I think in terms of like 
are they that far away from being a contender? No. I mean, I think they still have uh, enough team skill and, and talent um, within the right system uh, to sort of coalesce together and become, um, you know, you know, have one last run at it, like the Expendables or something like that. I think the, the two <laughs> concerns I the two concerns I have are obviously, you know, one, um, you know, Kuznetsov in particular was supposed to be a bridge from the OV, Oshi, uh, Backstrom sort of uh, age group to the sort of younger guys like Rana um, and, and the sort of younger group. The problem is that younger group does not <laughs> exist in much capacity anymore. <laughs> so you, now you sort of, so you don't really have that sort of next wave coming in and that's fine. You actually kind of want uh, if, if you're going to go all in on, you know, making these next one or two years a cup run, you sort of want everybody in the right age range for that. You almost don't want those sort of, well, they'll be good in two or three years. It's like, okay, well, they won't be good soon enough for us to to, to be good. Uh, this was my logic behind the Andrew Ladd trade for the Chicago Blackhawks in 2016. Sure. They traded, you know, uh, a first-round pick of Marco Deneau, uh for Andrew Ladd, and that pick, obviously, you know, uh, that didn't work out. But my thought process was, well, whoever that first round pick is, is not going to be good. Uh, you know, even if they are an amazing player, they're not going to be the best player on the championship team in the next five years. Versus Andrew Ladd, yes, he may be a worse player right now, but the ability for him to contribute to a contender and put them over the top is much more important than even getting a great young pick uh, that could turn into a star, but is a star of a declining aging roster. And so that's the same thought process. The bigger no, concern I, I have the bigger concern I have for the Caps is that, like, the gaps that they have in terms of where a normal cup contender is or the contenders this year is that it's not one or two players. It's not that one player will put them over the top. It's two or three players and a sort of rethinking of their overall philosophy of how they run the team. And those players are very difficult to get. You know, hey, we would love to have a, you know, a dynamic, you know, uh, you know, third line center or, you know, two or three you know, quick and mobile defensemen. Those are not easy guys to get. <laughs> so yeah. unless, you have, <laughs> unless you can identify, you know, yeah. some guys that aren't playing right now and, and will never get off the bench and you can sort of pluck them from teams that aren't suspecting, like you have to have the assets to do that and you have to have a, a partner willing to get that up and you have to be able to identify and get your coach to buy in to actually play them. If you can't do all three of those things, it's going to be very difficult to cross that chasm. And so I think that's the bigger, bigger concern I have is that the Cavs aren't that far away, but not that far away is getting uh, uh, further and further away as time goes on. Yeah, and Stringham, I kind of want, I want, I kind of want to ask you this. Um, I, you know, I think that um, I I struggle a little bit because I mean, I think being you know bowing out in the third in the first round again in the third straight postseason post cup is obviously frustrating. Although the Caps have done pretty well in the regular season, they've you know been either won the division or been right there and very close to winning it. So I guess kind of like, do how much do you kind of factor in the postseason frustration and failure versus kind of their success in the regular season when it comes to evaluating both kind of where they are in the contention window, but also just in terms of evaluating the roster. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it kind of comes down to the playoffs. I mean, I, I, yeah, but let me be clear. I don't think right now the roster evaluation that's going on is, is anything like, you know, a post-2010 loss to Montreal, uh, panic levels about the roster or a style no. of player like that. I mean, the Capitals haven't lost these last uh, few years because of a hot goalie or, you know, I mean, they've been outplayed handedly in two of the three series, you know, right. against Carolina, um, 
you know, they, they had a stretch of awful games there. I mean, it was, it was in an article in the athletic today about kind of expected goals over the course of a series or over, I think a three game stretch. And uh, I, I guess Carolina, I don't remember Carolina dominating them that long, but I certainly remember, <laughs> um, you know, I, I remember game seven and how the Capitals really had that game kind of in the bag. And then of course went on to blow it, but um and the Bruins series, they could have been up three nothing, and instead they were up. Uh, they, they were they were down two games to one, obviously again. So it's a. Uh, but but they again they weren't good in, in most of those series. Nope. Say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's safe no. to say they were they were beaten pretty soundly they, by they, Boston they, in everything but yes. the goal total. Yeah, yeah. They, they were the they were a team that could have beat won the Boston series, but they didn't deserve to win the Boston series. Um, and I, I don't know, Greg. So I guess my short my short answer too long <laughs> d- didn't listen is uh, no. I don't think that's really coloring the analysis. I think the Capitals still have some nice top end talent. Uh, even in his age, Ovechkin is still a, a great goal scorer. Um, but I, I, I I'm I'm not sure what. But I, what? I just don't think the team is 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 right there. I mean, I think um, Chris made a good point. They could be there. They're not they're not that far away. But at the same time. Uh, each year that they're not that far away, the next year they'll be a bit further away because of the age of their core. Yeah, and, and quickly on that, I mean, uh, because you had, uh, you had asked me about sort of the Blackhawks, and, and, and this is, you know, a perfect example. So Veshkin is still a great goal scorer, um, but not quite the well-rounded player he was, you know, earlier in his career. And obviously, even with the defensive sort of reputation that he had, he still can at least, you know, you know manage uh, to to hold his own in terms of like public possession, you know, defending his own zone, defending the neutral zone, getting the puck through. Um, and it's very similar to the conversation around Duncan Keith, who for a 37 year old or 38 year old is, you know, still it's remarkable that he's even playing, you know, given how, you know, much hockey is a young man's game at this point and that he's still able to keep up relatively well for his age is great. But the fact that he's our first pair in defenseman sort of indicates all the things that have gone wrong with the Blackhawks over the past half decade and and to me it's the same thing with Ovechkin where if Ovechkin was the second line uh you know winger um and you know Tom Wilson has elevated to a a, you know a 60 uh point a season scorer and averaging 30 goals or whatever then you're happy about that if he becomes the next Matthew Kachuk okay great then you can move Ovechkin down but you still are reliant on him to sort of drive a lot of your offense and at a certain point in time you know the juice isn't worth the squeeze and so I think that's where you know, as a cat fan, I'd be most concerned if I'm more concerned about winning. If I'm concerned about the nostalgia piece, obviously, you know, let LV get all the ice time he wants, bomb away. But if we're talking about like who do I yeah. want to become, who do I want the the offense and the teams to revolve around, it probably shouldn't be Alex Ovechkin at this point anymore. But when you look around the rest of the roster, like who is that person that is going to take his place then? And it was supposed to be Kuznetsov, but obviously that's not happening and it's actually uh becoming less likely as time goes on. Yeah. No, and I mean, talk, talk about the nostalgia piece a little bit. I mean, you're a Blackhawks fan. You kind of, I think, had a, you know, I, I wonder almost, you know, I think the Caps were obviously in a slightly different position than the Blackhawks sure. post them winning three cups. But, you know, it did seem like they kind of, you know, made their decisions. They're kind of, I guess, kind of evaluate as a fan the pros and cons of, you know, seeing those same players kind of, you know, in and out uh, remain on the team. Yeah. So I think. I think the worst thing that happened to Stan Bowman, other than him being Stan Bowman, uh, was uh, that the Penguins in particular have sort of blown a hole in the in the uh, the story that hey, yo, this is the price that you pay for winning, you know, three cups. 
um, you know, as much as Penguins fans are sort of apoplectic about how the team has performed in the past few years, they've been much closer to sort of uh, uh, contention than the Black Blackhawks have been. Um, and so, obviously, they have two all-time greats in, well, one all-time great in Sidney Crosby and a guy who's not a top 100 player of all time in Evgeny Malkin. Uh, but uh, outside of that, they've been able to sort of build around those pieces and find uh, guys like Brian Rust and, uh, oh, man, I'm blanking on the guy's name now. Who's the uh, uh, Gensel? Uh, and, and guys like that to sort of supplement the core. Jason Zucker and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. You know, they've been aggressive in making trades and so on and so forth, and they've been all in on um, sort of, uh, you know, they don't have much of a prospect pipeline, so on and so forth. But back to, you know, back to my point about the Andrew Ladd trade, at a certain point, like, if your dollars are tied up in, in Kane and saves anyway, you sort of do have to identify ways to sort of keep that window open. The Blackhawks has said they've been doing that, and that was the justification for getting a whole bunch of veterans over the past few years before they swerved fully into the rebuild, but um, they've not been able to do that. So in one sense, you know, I go back and forth with Blackhawks fans all the time. Hey, Patrick Kane is still, you know, third in the league in points and so on and so forth. You know, he's still a great player. And I'm like, ah, not really, but, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, at the end of the yeah. day, if that's all you have to hang your hat on, then and then so be it. Uh, you know, that's what, you know, drives people to the stadium. That's what keeps the, you know, the vendors going and so on and so forth. I understand that. But I also think like, there's a way that you can straddle both lines where it's like, okay, yeah, we may not be winning now, but you know, uh, the Kings are, are doing it really well. For example, they still have Kopitar, Dustin Brown, you know, Jonathan Quick is still on the roster somehow. Uh, they still have that old guard to sort of allow the fans to hang on to that. But then they have the Quentin Byfield of the world um, and the Gabe Velardis and all that coming up through the pipeline that lets you see like, hey, that's going to be the next competitive Kings team. And I don't think Blackhawks fans see that right now. I think that's also the concern for the Capitals is that like, Hey, once this nostalgia thing goes out, like once Obi does hit, you know, Gretzky's number, do you have uh, is going to be ten years of darkness after that? Because you know it may be great for this generation of Cats fans, but for the next one, it's going to suck. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Um, let's talk real quick about Ovi's contract, and then we're going to take a quick break. So, I guess Adam, I'll start with you. Like. You know, I, I think we've kind of talked a little about what the contract's going to look like and kind of how it fits into the Caps' plans and their future roster decisions going forward. To say nothing about the Seattle draft, but kind of what are we, what are, what are you hoping the contract looks like, and slash, what are you expecting it to look like? Uh, I believe it came out that the Caps are budgeting like double digit uh, for <laughs> for Ovechkin being ten million dollars, so uh, that's what I think it will come in at. Obviously, I'd hope it'd be less. Um, like, the lowest you could realistically expect would be Backstrom's deal. Um, as kind of Chris already laid out, like, I just feel like Ovechkin wouldn't want to take less than that. Um, I think it'll be worth a bit less than that. But you know what? Again, I've kind of, from the beginning, been a bit of a team nostalgia guy. So it's um, it's hard for me to, to get too bent out of shape there. Uh you know, the Caps are going to do what they've got to do um, to retain Ovechkin. I mean, they don't have a, a single leg to stand on. Uh, I mean, they've, they've, the amount of times they have publicly said that they are not going to let Ovechkin go anywhere is uh, <laughs> staggering. And, and it is not like the Tavares situation where, you know, the team wanted the guy to stay and the player didn't. I mean, it's very clear that uh, I don't think Ovechkin has any real desire to go anywhere else. Um, except for to Dynamo Moscow, and he's not going to do that until probably the last uh, few years of his playing career. So, um, yeah, yeah, that, right, that, well, that, that's what I'm thinking. 
Chris, uh, deliver deliver the tough love here. What would be a good contract for the Capitals <laughs> to sign Alex Ovechkin, and how far away do you think that they're likely to uh, to be from that? <laughs> uh, we we can pull out our old uh, Andre Burakovsky special. Uh, uh, Adam knows what I'm talking about, where we pitch the <laughs> three year, forty two million dollar contract to uh, uh, sorry uh, Andre Burakovsky like three or four years ago in our fake offseason. Um, and, and that to me would sort of make more sense. Um, you would obviously have to slough some people off the rosters and make that work, but, you know, sort of, uh, lowering the, the, because to me, it's not even the, the AAV It's obviously the, the term, um, for that. Do I think OV will, you know, game will continue to age pretty well? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, what do I think he's in? You know, ten million dollar uh, uh, a year player at age thirty nine or, or whatever it will be, probably not. And so, how do you sort of uh, straddle the line between that? So, if I were to say for a five year term, probably closer to like six million. Um, in terms of a good contract, you know, I still think he's probably going to be worth even less than that at the end of the contract. But we calculate in the gate receipts and the nostalgia and all that stuff like that. Plus, you know, the thing I will give a Mexican credit for is he does sort of bring a clarity to your team, particularly, obviously, your power play, but also just your offense, where I know where, you know, if my goal is to, as I said, get that 220 goals, I know where 40 of those goals are coming from. And yeah. so now I, I'm going to take the rest of the roster to figure out those other 180 um, and, and go from there. And so that sort of gets you uh, very close to that, much closer to that number than most other players at his age. Uh, so I, I would say, yeah, you know, five. Five over uh, six over five will make sense. Uh, but if I were them, I would really try to push for, hey, we can give you eleven, twelve million dollars a year, but it's only going to be for you know one or two years, and then we'll renegotiate after this and sort of allow Ovi the sort of optionality to say like, hey, I've hit the goal mark, I've gotten paid significantly uh, in that time frame. Maybe I'm ha- happy to cut those uh, last couple of years a little bit short, give you all some cap relief, and then go off and play in Moscow with the goals record in hand and still sort of cashing out and then allow the Capitals to be free of that, you know, significant cap hit in the last three, uh, two or three years of that deal. All right. Well, that's, that's definitely, uh, definitely an interesting perspective. And I think the reporting kind of shows how far, you know, how, yeah. uh, how far away it seems like the caps might be from that. But, uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break on the other side. Uh, we're going to dive more into the <laughs> caps roster. So, uh, you know, uh, strap in. Welcome back to Japers Rank Radio. Still here with Chris and Adam. And uh, guys, we're diving in uh, to the Caps roster even a little bit more here. So let's start from the center perspective. And it seems like the Caps are in a tough spot, Chris. Uh, They, um, you know, Kuznetsov is, you know, still has another quite a bit of term and quite a bit of AAV on there. And Backstrom obviously is signed for a while and signed for probably too much money at this point. So I kind of, I don't know, it seems like the Caps are in a tough spot there. Like, what's what's the way out? And would would you think about moving Kuznetsov at this point? Yes, but so yeah, so this is gonna be an interesting answer. So yes, I would consider moving him, but not necessarily because of his on ice play. So despite the narrative that's been around Kuznetsov the past few years, and I've been uh, one of the, the key people reading that bell, um, that the, that the sort of underlying metrics have been falling out uh, more so than his reputation has. I actually think he's been a better player uh, this year, uh, particularly defensively, than he has been the past couple of years. Yeah, that was kind of wild, wasn't it? <laughs> he actually yeah. was. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, by, by my count, his defensive metrics are way up. Now, obviously, his scoring numbers and his raw point totals are down. 
But at, in terms of being a more complete player and more along the lines of the player that they, I think the Capitals were expecting, you know, minus the, the goal scoring and, and, and the assists, uh, he's been a much better player this year than he has been the past year. So I think there has been some positive regression on his part what, that I think is good for the Capitals. I think the concern for them would be like, hey, actually, do we want to get this player away where his reputation is waning, but his on-ice play is getting better? Maybe he's more valuable to us than he is to another team. Um, mm-hmm. I would say my my counter to that would be I would trade him, uh, not necessarily because I think it will make the team better, but I do think it will give some more clarity. You know, just being able to move his cap hit and be able to find a player, given where he's at currently, being able to find a player at about, you know, four or five million dollars a year uh, that can contribute roughly as much, maybe in slightly different ways than Cruising That Soft does, does at least allow them a little bit more flexibility than they currently have. I think basically what I'm saying is I don't think training Kuznetsov is going to be the difference between them making the playoffs or not making the playoffs. And so if they can get a, a player in return for Kuznetsov, maybe a draft pick as well, and then turn that extra cap space into another that feeds in, particularly on the back end, then that probably puts them further ahead than keeping Kuznetsov as currently is. And so I think he's better. His, his, uh, his sort of value around the league might not be lower than it is currently, um, and it may be worth it for them to keep them. But I would bet on that and just trade them now um, before, you know, maybe the pumpkin, you know, may, turns back into a pumpkin at midnight and sort of left holding the bag and then you can't move them. I would try to move them while you can and still recoup value for them. Yeah. And uh, it's string, uh, I guess, kind of, uh, let me, let, let me, one, would you move Kuznetsov? And two, kind of, how, how, how are you thinking while we're still talking about centers about the Backstrom contract at this point? Um, uh, back to contract. I mean, again, the Caps were going to do what they were going to do nostalgia-wise. Uh, he looked awful in the playoffs this year. Uh, he's an old and guy, older guy. He was never a fast skater to begin with. So, um, I mean, that that's going to be a concern, a continual concern going forward. But I mean, he did lead the cap, lead the Capitals in points this year for what that's worth. Um, so it uh, certainly would be an overpay by the end of the contract, but. Again, it, it is what it is, and uh, <laughs> I, I think the Capitals are on the Stan Bowman train of it's a sunk cost for the championship, so um, they're okay with it. Um, for Kuznetsov, uh, I, I don't think the Capitals win a lot of trades that involve Kuznetsov leaving the team. Um, I, I still think he can be a dynamic player. Um, we haven't seen him be a dynamic player, uh, especially offensively. In, in a little bit now, uh, as Chris pointed out, he's looked better defensively, but, um, unfortunately what the Capitals kind of need from Kuznetsov isn't necessarily a, a two way style of play. I mean, obviously right. the net goals are the most important thing, but, um, the Caps need another element to their offense to be a successful team. Uh, that was what was missing in my mind when they were playing, uh, the Bruins this year, I mean, they they just they they did not threaten enough. They they weren't able to possess the puck for extended periods of time enough um, until uh, yeah, sorry, excuse me. Uh, uh, and they need Kuznetsov to be a guy who can take over the game. Still, I mean, when you go back and watch what he did in 2018 in the playoffs, I mean, he was just on a whole totally different level. I mean, just just absolute dominance. It reminded me of what Malkin did for the Penguins in 2009. Just just uh, start to to the end. He he was amazing. Uh, Ovechkin as well. But um, I, I don't think you win a deal with Kuznetsov, especially with all of the marks on his reputation now for the substances and uh, his COVID multiple COVID positives uh, during the season. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, uh, I guess, I guess, Chris, like, you know, do the Caps have any good value contracts on the front end when just kind of <laughs> expanding out to forwards? Is there any anything you think? Oh, okay, that's a contract we can kind of build on, or and any 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 uh, you know, because we're we're gonna we're gonna dive into even a little more pessimistic kind of stuff later on, but maybe maybe give us a tiny bit of optimism. Is there is there any kind of particular player or from a valuation standpoint that you're thinking, okay, like this actually might be uh, might be a pretty solid net for the Caps? Uh, it's kind of sheery a free agent this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, this is sort of uh you know, part and parcel for, for the Caps uh, that, you know, unfortunately, most, you know, the only good player, I, I wouldn't even say good, the only player of value, I guess, under 26 is Sprong. And I, I don't think he's on yeah, the that was Yeah, that was where my head went. But that's not ideal because Sprong is probably, what, a third-line player next year at best, I would imagine? Maybe third a third-line player and, and a guy that's been passed around a league, you know, with with little to minimal value uh, at all. And so, I, I mean, I think that's the sort of uh, the hard part. Now, obviously, they have some exciting uh, prospects, you know, Connor McMichael, uh, Hendrix Lapierre, who's, you know, I, I'm getting his jersey as soon as he makes a makes the league just because that's the, like the best name I've ever heard. Yes, um, it's incredible <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I'm sorry. I mean that's that's the hard part where you sort of uh, go all in on the veteran piece. Um, is that you? And and it's funny enough that I think the Maple Leafs got a lot of flack this year for going in for like the veterans and uh, sort of surrounding their young talent with the butted chigas on the on on the bottom of the roster. You know the uh, you know Bagolzins and the Thorntons and the Wayne Simmons of the world. Um, but there's some I would say that was not necessarily the wrong approach. This is actually something I used to do a lot in the NHL, uh, like 17 or whatever, which is, you know, with Sinovechkin, you know, when he became a free agent, you know, so like a $4 million contract, um, you know, but it's year to year because he was still, you know, 86 rated, but because he's so old, you know, teams wouldn't give him term. Uh, so I would sign him to this sort of, uh, you know, one year big, big money contract. So, you know, if you look at a guy like a Ryan Getloff, who actually, you know, it's not great, definitely not the guy he used to be, but if you could get him for two million, he's probably better than what you get for a normal center. You know, that's much younger at two million, and so something like that. But sure. in terms of being able to get anything back in a trade, like I, I don't see it. Um, the only way I really see them doing anything is just sort of opening up roster, roster spots and cap space by trading guys for draft picks. You know, third or fourth rounders. Um, and it's not really because you want the picks; it's because you need the space, and then sort of replacing those guys with younger players. But a lot of, you know, no movement clauses, you know, a lot of guys that whose contracts made them untradeable. I mean, I just don't really see the way out. Um, and the obvious sort of way to do that, we can't do with the skaters is in the net. But I think they're sort of setting that with, you know, two big, big question marks. And I don't really know where they're going to go with that either. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And uh, I guess I, I was so I was looking at the Japers Rank uh, radio archives and uh, you, we actually had you on right before the the, the Verona trade. So sure. I guess kind of like we've, we've talked a lot about this and we, we've hit on a little bit of kind of the impact of the Verona for Mantha swap. But kind of where, where do you place that? Like, you know, because I think as a capital fan, I was a little nervous seeing that, you know, Two players that, you know, maybe you say, okay, they're roughly comparable, but then you start seeing draft picks go the other way. Obviously, Mantha gives a little more cost certainty, but kind of, kind of, how did you, how did you break that trade down? 
Yeah, I mean, I actually came out in defense of the Capitals. Uh, I, uh, as everyone was saying, uh, uh, and my numbers were sort of screaming that this is literally the same exact player. Like, they, yeah. you could not get, <laughs> you could not create, like, I, I have a similarity score between players and their playing styles, and it's like, number one and two was Vrana and, and Mantha. So, uh, the the argument I made on behalf of the Caps, get, knowing that was the case, was, uh, you know, Mantha has a little bit more defensive juice and sort of two-way play than uh, Vrana, de, uh, Vrana did at the time. Um, and that, despite his injury history, uh, the fact that at least Peter Laviolette will at least trust him a little bit, you know, doesn't make a difference because, you know, it doesn't matter how good Jacob Brown is if the, if the coach never plays him. Obviously, I've been, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, 75% of my appearances on here have been extolling the virtues of Jacob Brown, uh, and, you know, no one believed in him. So that sort of undermined his value, not because he wasn't a good player, but because coaches, there was something about his play that coaches just didn't believe in. And I don't think that was the case for, for Mantha. Um, I think, where I do give them credit is obviously, you know, that the fact that his cafe, you know, he's he's on the books for seven more years. I don't think it's going to be a bad contract. And so if you want to say maybe that's where some value can be recouped, probably there. But I don't see, you know, as Adam was saying about Kuznetsov, I don't really see them recouping value that makes them better in the current uh, current term um, by trading uh, Mantha. But that may be something to look at. Now, who would you get back? Once again, I would consider, you know, investing in the blue line. I'm doing that, and this is very like antithetical to everything I believe in. But I believe that's like the, where the most leverage can come from. They they were third in goals last year. Like they don't need any more goals. They do need to shore up some way, shape, or form. The question is, you know, is there a style that they can align to? I think a lot of you know I pushed back a, a bit this uh, in the past week or so prior to uh, Vegas sort of dominating them on the shot counter, where people were saying Colorado was the best you know, team in the past 10 years since the uh, the 08 Red Wings. So I was like, uh, those 2010 Blackhawks were really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the reason why I pushed the back against that... The 2013 Blackhawks in particular, if I remember. Well, yes, yes, exactly. And, and the reason why I pushed back against that was, one, from a metric standpoint, obviously that's the team I had, like, the best eye test for because I watched that team religiously. And, and the reason for that was, like, yes, the, the, the Avalanche have an amazing blue line, a very productive blue line, but I also think it's more... Um, some of it is the sum of parts uh, as opposed yeah. to individual players. You know, Gerard is a great player. McCarr is obviously, you know, one of the top defensemen in the league. I also think it's because they have six mobile defensemen that can sort of lead the charge um, and, and do that. But you sort of separate them out and trade them to a bunch of different rosters. You won't get that same impact that you would get. Uh, and so I think it's the same thing for the Caps. Can you identify that style of play that can sort of support John Carlson and sort of getting the puck out there on zone and, and getting it up to the you know very aggressive and, and very talented forwards, can you identify what those players are? They, you know, they lost one of those in Nate Schmidt a few years ago. Got another one in Michael Kempney. Uh, uh, you know, have gone back and forth in terms of what that next player looks like. I think they need to double down on that more. And so, if trading uh, Matthew can get you a player like that of that caliber. Then I think that's where they really need to to go from here. Sure, sure, and. Uh... String, you know, we 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 uh, Chris kind of talked about style, and you kind of noted earlier that obviously with Laviolette they're playing heavier hockey. You know, it's maybe not the most compelling at times to watch, <laughs> but uh, you know, I do you view it as maybe maximizing the Caps' current roster and kind of where they're at, or do you think that there might be a different way forward? Well, I, I think they've kind of made changes to the roster to make it more that way over the last year. I mean. Laviolette came in, and that, that's how he wanted the, the team to be made. And 
I mean, that, that, that's what they did. I mean, they, they've got all, all the guys generally have been getting bigger, except for maybe Shiri and Sprong. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, they're kind of, they've kind of made their bed and now they got to sleep in it. Um, maybe, maybe they've got some, they can play a, a bit more of a hybrid style, but I, I, I don't know, Greg, it's a tough question. I mean, I wish I could say, yes, they can play a different style, but, but honestly, I'm not sure they can. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. The, yeah. Oh, Chris, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. It, it, very quickly. So, you know, I, uh, so I'm looking at my numbers right now. And, and the reason why I'm pushing it on the defense, uh, yeah, Lavulette has this issues. I remember going back and forth with Jack Han, uh, Jack Han and, uh, and Corey Snyder at the beginning of the season where, uh, where uh, uh, La said he wanted to play a more north south game, take advantage of their, uh, of their speed. And, and there was some pushback against that. And I said, actually, no, that makes sense. Uh, despite the age of the roster, um, because of the skill, they still, you know, uh, 1 through 12 were one of the fastest skating teams uh, last year um, and, and still were able to maintain that, obviously not quite as well this year uh, under Lobby Let style. And so when I look at the forwards in comparison to all of the, uh, to all of the teams that have won a cup in the past, you know, 10 years, the forwards are fine. Like uh, on every single metric, the forwards are you know, above the threshold of, uh, of the worst cup winner um, in those categories. Uh, the problem is the, the, the defensemen, you know, particularly in terms of what we talked about, you know, they are more physical, they do play better defense than the average cup winner, but in terms of being able to, to sort of, you know, pinch in and, and play off the rush uh, to sort of make classes, passes and plays to sort of on the blue line um, and sort of get the puck in, um, where they're behind the curve is on, on the defensive side. And so if you can trade a little bit of that talent up front, for more dynamic talent on the back end um, and really identifying who that may be. I think that's where they can sort of still maintain their identity while also getting just better, um, particularly in those pressure moments against a team like Boston, but they have a four check or, or Carolina that kills you. You don't have those defensemen that can move the, move the puck. Yeah. But Chris, it's almost like you had a, a copy of my agenda in front of you because that's actually <laughs> exactly where I wanted to go next. Uh, let, let, let's, let's, let's get Strigham involved here. So, you look at the Cavs D and they have a lot of people locked in for a while. Um, there's uh, you look at basically we know who, uh, you know, the top four are going to be in some capacity. And also you have Nick Jensen floating around, too. So I guess we can kind of lead into the expansion talk here a little bit. But to me, it's pretty clear the Caps are going to protect Orlov and Carlson. But who they protect third, I think, is kind of a more interesting question. And I pitched this to Sam yesterday, or uh, not yesterday, last week. But among kind of Dylan, Schultz, and Jensen, do you think there's one that you would keep? And, you know, is there one that you would say, okay, maybe we would be okay if, you know, uh, Seattle took that slash. Maybe we'd be interested in trying to see if we could get some 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 kind of value for it at the open market. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've made it pretty clear that I'm fine with seeing Dylan go. Uh, <laughs> I mean, D- Dylan, I know, I know he's supposed to be, you know, the Brooks Orpik replacement, but I, I mean, he just—he's a struggle to watch. I mean, uh, Jensen is—it was not noticeable almost at all in the playoffs, which is a great thing because just about mm-hmm. every single other Caps D was, was noticeable. noticeably bad. Yeah. Yeah. For, <laughs> for, for various reasons. With the exception, I mean, Dmitry Orlov had some, I mean, he was very clearly the Caps best defenseman in, in, in the playoffs. Um, Dylan uh, just, he, he does, he's not mobile. 
He doesn't have the ability to, to get back after a break. You know, I mean, he's he requires a lot of smart play from the Capitals forwards. Um, you know, he, he's not going to bail them out. And uh, that was clear. I mean, we saw where I think the Capitals went for a dumb change in game two against the Bruins. And then Dylan kind of didn't really check. He assumed the guy would be there and then made a blind pass up the boards, which resulted in the Marshan goal. So, uh, I mean, neither Dylan nor Schultz am I particularly high on, but at least Schultz has a skill set that I think is uh, a bit more valuable right now, and uh, I think the Capitals need more mobility from their back end to to make up with, again, for the aging forward core. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and I feel like, Chris, I, you know, whenever I see Justin Schultz, you know, <laughs> with another team, I was always like, oh, that guy's interesting. And then you kind of yeah. dig into the underlying metrics and they're maybe not as positive. And uh, I kind of felt the same thing now having watched him for a year. <laughs> but uh, let's kind of let's kind of zoom out just a touch. Like sure. you talked about maybe the Caps giving away some of kind of the skill or, ta- or, you know, kind of effectiveness edge on the blue line kind of. Who do you think is maybe the worst defender of that? And, uh, you know, or uh, kind of what do you think is the path forward for the Caps there? Oh, it's definitely Dylan. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's definitely Dylan. Uh, uh, And by question, I mean, Schultz is, I mean, Schultz has at least one. I mean, he can still sort of make a play with a puck uh, and sort of uh, move it to the forwards, but uh, he's sort of, he's sort of at the tail end too. Um, And so, you know, you would kind of wish that you can find uh, take your first contract. Um, and that and that to me is the other part where I think teams don't do this enough. Um, they obviously do it at the expansion drive uh, uh, to to uh, horrible results, but sort of being willing to say like, all right, yep, third round picks don't really move the needle all that much. Can I attach a third round pick for you to take this guy or whatever? You know, um, if if the Rangers could find a taker from Mark Stahl's contract for a second round pick. You could definitely find oh, someone. Do that in like three seconds, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you could definitely a, a team may actually give you you know six or seven for Justin Schultz um, because they need you know depth on the blue line. So I think that's where they need to look at it. Where it's like it can't be much worse than these guys. Like uh, you know Jensen, I think does actually have some value. I think he actually is a pretty good defensive uh, uh, blue liner. Um, and so at the very least, you know he's above average at that skill. The problem with the with Dylan and Schultz is that they're not above average at anything and very below average at a lot of stuff. And so I think, you know, the fact that they have a blue line where the average age is like 32, uh, and obviously some of that is uh, led by Chara, but the fact that the youngest player on there, I think, was Orloff <laughs> at 29, like that, <laughs> like that's just not where the NHL is going. That's not ideal. Yeah. 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 And so either you just have to believe in, you know, younger players, and I think, you know, regardless of the pedigree, I think you see younger players being able to keep up with modern NHL offenses it is more than enough justification to sort of give those guys a chance. Um, but particularly if you can find someone uh, on the free agent market, uh, the Blackhawks, uh, one of the things that we talked about is, you know, Alex Martinez. Um, it's like, okay, well, you know, is he going to move your agent curve down? No, but is he a better player currently than anybody on the on the uh, current roster? Yes. Yeah. So you figure out a way to get guys like that, and that can maybe move the needle a little bit. I think with defense in particular, it is like uh, a we talk a lot about strong link and weak link. I think it is a weak link game on the defense where if you have a defensive uh, pairing that a team can exploit, they're just gonna like take advantage of it all night. And so it doesn't matter if your top pairing is a shutdown uh, shutdown pairing if they can just score on your third pairing all night then that's going to be an issue versus 
it's almost better to have six, you know, average defensemen than one or two great ones and then three or four bad ones. And so I think that's the mentality that the Capitals have to take. And whatever assets they need to move from the, either the forwards or from the draft picks um, to sort of get that is probably the best way to go forward for them. Yeah, and I, I guess kind of the doubly frustrating part, Chris, I would imagine, is like we, we talked earlier that when you have, you know, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Carlson locked to these long deals that are high money, you need to be hitting on those two to three million dollar contracts sure. and, you know, having two to three to four million and having, you know, Schultz and Dylan both be probably misses on that front is kind of it's kind of doubly painful that way. No, exactly. Yeah. It, it, you know, as I said, every dollar counts. Um, in the NHL. And so it doesn't matter, you know, obviously giving money to your stars for, you know, 30, 40% more than they're worth, obviously puts you behind the eight ball, but it's even more damaging uh, when you give it to guys who aren't contributing and are just sort of sucking up spots on the cap, because not only are they uh, wasting your dollars, but they're also preventing better or potentially no worse options playing. Um, and that sort of sets you back from both a on ice standpoint, but also a developmental standpoint because they're blocking you know, pass to actual ice time for your younger players. And so I think that's something that the sooner that they can rectify, the better it is for them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Uh, string real quick, because we're, 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 uh, we're hitting an hour here, which uh, I feel like whenever we have Chris on, that we always go long, which yeah, is great. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so, some of us are, are hungry, that, that, that mainly <laughs> being me. So let's kind of let's kind of buzz through this. Goaltending-wise, uh, is kind of the one area the Cats have financial room, seemingly. Uh, do you think they get a veteran, or do you think they kind of just roll in with uh, VTech and Sammy this uh, next year? Uh, well, I think there's a chance one of those two guys to get taken in the expansion draft. But um, I, I think if neither of them do get taken, I'd probably just roll with them again. Okay. Chris, uh, do you, would you do the same, or do you think uh, throwing a couple of mil at a veteran backup makes sense? Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, so I think goaltending, unfortunately, is the one position that you sort of can't play around with. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think you can sort of take, I think you can take a chance on one of those guys. Uh, this is similar to the discussion with the Rangers, but obviously in a very different context where Rangers have an abundance of goaltending talent, uh, and, and the Caps are, are sort of lacking, although Samsonov was supposed to be um, the prince that was promised. Um, so I think you sort of stick with him based on his pedigree, although obviously his production didn't value it uh, and didn't sort of warrant it. But I think they had the right idea with going with uh, Henrik Lundqvist and sort of uh, kicking the tires on him. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out um, in, in the, you know, the most unfortunate way possible. But I think they have the right approach. And I think that's how they should if – they, if there's anywhere on their roster where they can, they can sort of uh, increase the leverage and sort of get some variance um, in a good sense is – at the goaltending position. So you do, you know, maybe look and see, you know, if a uh, Peter Morozik or whoever, you know, hits the open market, you know, can you get them and maybe get one good season out of them um, and see if that can move the needle for you. If not, then sort of give it, give the pipes to your younger guys and sort of roll with that. But um, I think that's the one area where they can improve without giving up much of their current roster. Yeah. All right. Okay. We're at, we're at 58 minutes. So I had a big long question about the expansion draft, but String, I'm going to give you a short one. Um, it's a thing. Uh, what would be the worst case scenario for the Caps to have Seattle take X player? And what would be the best case scenario? Uh, realistically worst case, I guess. Yeah, let's go realistic. I mean, I don't I don't think. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe we say Dylan, but I don't know. You go ahead. Yeah, I think Sprong would be the worst case, probably, yeah. uh, realistically. 
uh, again, young, talented forward that the Capitals just simply don't have a lot of right now. And uh, best case is probably Dylan. Okay. Uh, Chris, uh, where, where, where does your mind go there? Yeah, it's wrong probably because, you know, somebody has to be the worst, worst case scenario. Though. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've been uh, very, even more so down on, on the Capitals 2018 celebrations is more so down on the expansion draft. I think teams back themselves into a corner by overthinking it and, and thinking how clever they were to, to, you know, move this pick uh, to, to trade this bad contract. Uh, but yeah, you know, if it's, if it's Dylan or, you know, yeah, I think Dylan or uh, yeah, I, I can't think of anybody worse than Dylan. So yeah, I, think, yeah. I, 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 I think I would agree. Although I will, I will say post uh, post getting injured, Justin Schultz, I think would would like a word there too. But uh, all right, uh, with that we're gonna uh, and also I'll throw Nick Jensen in for a worst case scenario. I think that would be sure. not ideal if they took him. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's call the wraps here. We're at uh, almost an hour, which you know is like. That's uh, I think we had a we had a good enlightening discussion. So uh, String, I'm going to have you go first. Where can people find you and your uh, your various musings on things? Uh, I'm still on Twitter at StringHamA. Um, feel free to hit me up anytime. There you go. And uh, Chris, where can people find you and your uh, your various works and everything? Uh, I am also on Twitter at Yolo Pinato, Yolo underscore Pinato. Please do not hit me up because uh, <laughs> I don't want any more angry Caps fans in my mentions. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to stay in the good graces of, of everybody uh, uh, for the time being until my Blackhawks uh, achieve ascendance again. So so yeah, but that's where I will be, um, and uh, I will have updates on my next uh, sort of set of work from there. Sounds great. Sounds great. And uh, all right, you can find me at Greg Y underscore JR. If you like the show, please, and I'm hoping that you did if you're listening to this because we're now an hour in. Um, <laughs> so if you like the show, please uh, rate, rate, subscribe, review. Uh, as I've said before, we now have other capitals, a lot of other capitals podcasts. Uh, I still think we're number one, at least among like non major major media outlets when it comes to covering the caps. So, you know, I think that like I really love to see that going. I think we have a lot of really good things to offer and i know this off season i have a lot of big things planned that i'm really excited about and we'll be unveiling that as as you can so if you can just give us like a quick five-star review or lower please five stars <laughs> that would be great and uh, you can find uh the show at, at japers rink radio and uh, next week um i will announce it when it comes but i got something pretty exciting planned so uh, stay tuned for that Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.